This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Father, as we gather in your house today and in your presence, we give you thanks for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death on the cross. We thank you for his resurrection. We bless you that he's now seated at your right hand. And we thank you that he is coming again soon. And so, Lord, as we focus our thoughts today on your great love towards us, we pray, Lord, that our hearts and minds will be opened. And, Lord, it will be reminded again, Lord, just how much you love us. We who do not deserve your love, but yet, Lord, in your mercy and grace, you poured out your love to us through your Son, Jesus. So we give you thanks for this in his name. Amen. Amen. Come with me, please, to John's Gospel, uh, chapter 13. John's Gospel, chapter 13. I'll just pour myself a little drink while you're doing that. And we're going to break into this uh, reading uh, from verse 16. Jesus speaking said, Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning upon Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. And leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Let's just stop there. No gospel writer so freely extolled the virtues of God's love like the Apostle John, which is probably why he is affectionately known as the beloved disciple, or alternatively, the apostle of love. An artist has forever depicted him as the one who leaned upon the breast of Jesus. And in his first epistle, out of the five chapters he reserves three of those to speak about the love of God. The bedrock of John's faith was the fact that Jesus loved him. There was no question in his mind at all that Jesus loved him. In fact, five times in this gospel, he states that emphatically. He's the only disciple actually to write that. He was that disciple whom Jesus loved. 
And so he knew, of course, that Jesus loved the whole world. He said so in his third chapter of his gospel, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But he absolutely knew and emphasized the fact that he loves me. He absolutely loves me. And so this morning, just for a little while, I want to, I want to look at those e events in John's life where he stated that, that Jesus loves me, that disciple whom Jesus loved. And let's look at them and see what we can learn from it, see what would apply to our lives, because he loves us. But often we don't think much about the fact that he does love us. We focus a lot on how much do we love him. But actually, it's much more important to realize how much he loves us. And the more we understand how much he loves us, the easier it is to say how much we love him. And so in this first instance uh, in John 13, uh, the context of this chapter, this portion of scripture is this. Uh, that Jesus is giving his disciples a lesson in servanthood. Uh, that's the time when he, <laughs> he took off the apron and wrapped himself and bent down and washed the disciples' feet. Uh, because at, at that moment, even though he was about to die for them, but at that moment, all they were concerned about was who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. That's all they could think about. They knew that Jesus was the king of the kingdom, that his kingdom was coming. And so they wanted to know, well, if his kingdom comes and he's the king of the kingdom and we're his closest associates, we're his disciples, we're the ones that has been singled out for a special relationship with him. So therefore, out of all of us, who then will be the greatest in the kingdom? And so that's what they were thinking about. And and Mark's gospel, Mark actually tells us that. He actually shows us that that's what their conversation was all about. But whenever Jesus then heard that, he, he said something to them that really brought them down to earth with a bump. He cut across all of that ego that they had, all of that wondering and boasting about one another. He cut across right through all of that. And he said, one of you, is going to betray me. And whenever Jesus said that, I'm sure you're going to hear a penny drop because they're all chattering away to each other and looking at each other and talking to each other who's going to be the greatest. And suddenly Jesus just stops all of that. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. And in verse 22 it says, and they were perplexed and they were filled with doubt. Suddenly, they had a crisis of confidence. Suddenly, that, that ego, that bubble was burst when Jesus says, one of you, you're, you're thinking about who's going to be the greatest. Well, let me tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And he says, Lord, is it I? In Matthew's gospel, it says, all of them said, Lord, is it I? And so imagine, imagine the conversation going from, am I going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Because that's what we're thinking. To, Lord, am I the one that's going to betray you? And so suddenly, they were filled with doubt. Their confidence was just shot through. 
in a moment, they were deflated and left wondering, could it possibly be me? Could I betray Jesus, the Lord? Elijah had his time of doubt. He had just slain the prophets of Baal with the sword on Mount Carmel. He called down far from heaven. And within a few verses, he's fleeing for his life to Beersheba. And he sits under a juniper tree and he says, Lord, it is enough. Take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. And suddenly he's filled with doubt about his ministry. He's full of inferiority, inadequacy. Confidence is gone. He's on the run. And he's went from that mountaintop experience to he's in the very valley in the depth of doubt and despair. John the Baptist was the same, wasn't he? John the Baptist was a very strong individual, a very powerful preacher. He took no prisoners. I mean, when John preached, he didn't miss and hit the barn door. I mean, he was just direct. And Jesus said there was never a prophet like John the Baptist, even though he did no miracle. But he was the one who pointed to Jesus as the Lord, as the Savior, and the Messiah. And he, he directed men towards him with his powerful preaching. And he was like that. He was a strong man until, until he was thrown into prison. And then suddenly he was filled with doubt. He had lost his confidence. And he wondered, have I been wrong all along? Have I completely and utterly missed it? Has my calling been a sham? Has all this been in vain? And he sent a delegation to Jesus. Art thou he that should come or do we look for another? Are you the one? You see, he's doubting now. He's wondering. He's no confidence. Before, he was full of it. He, he would say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I'm not even worthy to tie up his sandals. But he's not like that now. Even the great apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5, he says, without... Outside, without were fightings, but within were fears. <laughs> now, that verse encourages me. I'll tell you why. Because often we, we put Paul up in a superstar status that he was almost <coughs> without any feeling. But he clearly says here, he says, within were fears. Even though... He said, none of these things is going to move me off what I'm supposed to do. I'll not be put away from what my calling is, but I have fears, insider fears. Have you ever felt fear? That telephone call? That letter you opened? That thing that somebody said to you? And suddenly, a fear rises up. You feel it in the pit of your stomach. And so the Apostle John, in spite of a time of doubt, he always maintained, I am that disciple whom Jesus loved. 
He never doubted for a moment that Jesus loved him. In spite of his doubts about himself, and sometimes we have doubts about ourselves and we lose our confidence. Sometimes spiritually we struggle. We lose our confidence somewhat. But if you do, and if you are in that position today, do not think for one moment that you have lost the love of Christ towards you. John says, I am that disciple whom Jesus loved. Now remember he's writing, (laughs) he's an old man writing this and he's looking back and he's remembering that moment in that room where he doubted himself. Could I be the one? Lord, is it I? Peter didn't seem to have much doubt about it even though he asked the question. (laughs) Peter was rather... (laughs) rather bold (laughs) he's rather egotistical he had a high opinion of himself but he was brought down with earth with a bump didn't he he crashed and burned at one point but anyway and so if you're going through a a time if you lost your confidence a time of self-doubt about yourself do not think for one moment that you've lost that love that Christ has got for you and then there was a time of, of new responsibility in, in John chapter 19. In verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Imagine... If you were at that cross and Jesus looked down at you and in effect said, from this moment on, she will be your mother. You will be her son. And from this moment on, you will have to take care of her for me. Imagine having to take care of the mother of the Son of God. What a responsibility. What a task. Would you be up for it? I don't know about you, but I think that would scare me. Would I be up for it? Could I handle that? Would I be big enough to be able to do it? And I'm sure those thoughts ran through John's mind as he stood there, knowing that Jesus has just said, and in fact, from this moment on, you are designated to take care of my mother until the day she dies, however long that may be. You're the one, you're the chosen one to do this. I think John would take comfort in the fact, because he wrote it there, that Jesus loved him. And if Jesus loved him, then Jesus must have had confidence in him to do the job. If Jesus loved him, he must have trusted him. And he must have thought, you know, 
I know that Jesus loves me, and if he's asking me to take care of his mother, then he must trust me to do this. Whom Jesus trusts, he entrusts. If the Lord asks you to do something, even though it may be way out of your comfort zone, he never thought for one moment this was going to happen. He had no idea in the world that Jesus was going to say this. Never dawned on him to that moment. But if the Lord asks you to do something that's way out of your comfort zone, the fact that he asks you to do it means he trusts you to do it. He knows you can do it. And whom he trusts, he entrusts. He said, here, do this. Just do it. And in fact, I know you can. I know you're able. I'm trusting you. I'm putting this into your hand to do. And so maybe the Lord is coming to you in some way. And maybe that's what he's doing in your life at the moment. He's challenging you. He's maybe wanting you to do something that's way out of your comfort zone. But the fact that he's asking you shows me that he trusts you. He knows you can do it with his help, of course, and by his grace. But you can do it. And so John was given that task. We don't know how long that was. We don't know how long that might have been. But that was his job. That was his task. And then there's another occasion in John 20. Verse 1 of John 20. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. There it is again. And said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And when he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and when he saw and believed... For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. And so the woman came back from the tomb and said to the disciples, the Lord's gone. We, we don't know where he is. And Peter and John decided, well, we'll go and investigate. And so they ran as fast as their legs could carry them. John must have been the fitter of the two. He arrived just before Peter. He peeks in but did not go in. Peter comes, and Peter, like a bull in the china shop, as usual, he just brushes him aside, and he just races right into the tomb. And he's amazed at what he saw. And then John takes a little bit of courage because of that. He goes in, 
And when he sees the way the linen cloths are lying, there is no other explanation other than Jesus must have risen from the dead. Now he believes because of what he has seen. Before that, he was in unbelief. Not all of them, in fact, believed in a, in a resurrection. In fact, another gospel says when the women came at the start, it seemed to them as idle tales. The old wives' tales. What are you talking about? It hadn't dawned on them, even though Jesus had warned them and told them. But now, now he believes. Jesus again and again told his disciples that he would rise again from the dead. In fact, John was eyewitness to three resurrections. He saw three people raised from the dead with his own eyes. But he didn't believe that Jesus would rise again from the dead. The one who rose people from the dead, but he didn't believe that he would rise from the dead, even though he had told them, even though he heard them speaking to Mary and Martha at the tomb, I'm the resurrection and the life. But I'm not being hardened, John, because oftentimes we have a lot of unbelief too. Even though it's as plain as the nose in your face in Scripture, yet we struggle to believe sometimes. But Jesus told about Jonah, didn't he? As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Sign of the resurrection. Look at this temple. We're standing, look at the temple. He says, look at this temple. Time will come when there'll be not one stone left upon another. Then he says, but I will raise it up in three days. And they looked and they thought, what? Of course, he was talking about himself at that point, wasn't he? He's talking about him rising from the dead. But they couldn't get it. They didn't see the connection. Except, he said, a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. Again, another sign of the resurrection. And so even though he had told them that over and over again, and even though John had seen three times folk raised from the dead, yet at that moment when he stood outside the tomb, he was full of unbelief. Until he went in and examined the grave clothes. Then, and only then, did he believe. And yet John, recording this story after many, many, many years, he was still that disciple, he said, whom Jesus loved. Oh, how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have written concerning him. And sometimes we are slow of heart too to believe. And sometimes there's a bit of unbelief sneaks into our heart, doesn't it? Or am I the only one? Remember the man said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Lord, I'm trying, I really want to believe, so help me. And sometimes that's the way we are too. We believe, but Lord, unbelief wants to rise up. But let's not reduce God to laws and formulas. 
He loves us. In spite of her failures, in spite of her doubts, in spite of her fears, in spite of times even when there's some unbelief sneaks into her heart, God still loves us. That disciple whom Jesus loved, he's looking back on all these events and he's still able to say, but Jesus still loved me. In spite of myself, Jesus still loved me. So be encouraged, saints, this morning. And in John 21, verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I remember this point, they thought their ministry was over and gone. And they said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. And when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Ah. It is the Lord. In a time of great blessing, in a time of prosperity, in a time of success, in a time when everything has gone beyond your expectation and you're blessed abundantly, do we remember it is the Lord? When John saw that catch of fish, he could come to no other conclusion. It was a miracle. This is the hand of the Lord. It must be the Lord. It can be nothing else. Even though they didn't recognize him on the shore, but what they saw happen had to be the Lord. And sometimes God blesses us in ways that are beyond our expectation or abundantly. And sometimes we just be kind of ho-hum about it. Well, that was nice. Oh, that was fortuitous. I was lucky there. When we actually should be saying, it is the Lord. The Lord has blessed me. The Lord has met that need. The Lord has done more than I was able to think <laughs> Beyond my imagination, it is the Lord. Jesus said, we're not ten lepers cleansed. Where are the other nine? Why has only one come back? Only one out of the ten recognized and realized and said, do you know what? I'm going to go back and I'm going to thank the Lord for this. An attitude of gratitude is a wonderful thing. Just to be able to be thankful for what the Lord has done. We should be forever grateful for what the Lord has done spiritually for our lives, shouldn't we? 
washed us, cleansed us, redeemed us, put our name in the book of life. All of that could keep you praising God for all eternity. But in the everyday things of life, when he blesses you, do we say, thank you, Lord? The fact that Jesus recognized only one out of the ten come back makes you think that he was thinking, where's the thanks here? Have you ever noticed how ungrateful sometimes people are? <laughs> Did you ever notice that? No matter what you've done, there's never even a thought of thank you. Jesus recognizes when we don't thank him as well as when we do thank him. And so at a time of blessing, Psalm 126 and 3, the Lord has done great things for us whereof we are glad. Amen. And so it's lovely just to thank the Lord. Just take a moment, maybe just a silent prayer of thanks to him. And say, thank you, Lord, for that. It's wonderful. I'm blessed today. You've helped me. You've given me such and such. You've done that for me. And just, just to thank you to the Lord. That we just don't take it all for granted. So when John saw the great catch of fish, he said, fellas, it is the Lord. It's him. That came from him. Only he could have met that need. We fished all night in our own strength, by our own ability. These were professional fishermen, and we caught nothing. Everything we did came to naught. And in a moment, at the wrong time of the day, in the wrong place to fish, Jesus miraculously gave us a great catch. It is the Lord. And he recognized who it was. So let us be quick to recognize the blessings of God in our life and thank him for that. Amen. Whatever measure of health you've got, whatever measure of prosperity you've got, whatever measure of, of uh, success you have, wherever you're doing, whatever you, let's thank the Lord Amen. for it. And then in John 21, this is the last. In John 21. And this is the, the moment whenever after Jesus had uh, met with the disciples on the beach and he made a barbecue for them, and some fish, and then he took Peter aside because he needed to deal with Peter privately. In verse 15, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Notice what he called him, Simon, son of Jonah. At this point, he didn't call him Peter. He called him by his old name. Remember he had given him a new name? You're Simon, son of Jonah, but you should be called Cephas or Peter. But... Simon, son of Jonah, had denied the Lord three times. The old Simon, the carnal Simon, the fearful Simon, 
Simon who had lost his courage the trial of Jesus. So he's reminding him of who he was at that moment in the past. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Because it, Peter in the upper room had a, implied that he loved Jesus more than these other disciples. Even though all men would deny you, all men would disown you, all men would walk away from you, all men would betray you, that was what he was implying. Not me. Even though they would, but I never would. What a, what a boast to make. And that was the time Jesus said, listen, before the cock crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. But Peter didn't believe it, of course, being Peter. And so he said, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And as I said, on numerous occasions, when Jesus said, do you love me? Do you agapeo me? Do you love me with that, that love that's beyond just human love, with the love of God? With that love that's completely undeniable? Do you love me with that type of love? And of course, Peter now has been humbled to the dust, hasn't he? And he says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I phileo you. You know that I'm really, really fond of you. He just couldn't say, he couldn't just go the whole distance because he had bragged about that before and it didn't work. So he's humbled now. He says, well, Lord, you know I'm very, very fond of you. He said, feed my lambs. He said, then the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you agapeo me? You love me unconditionally? Do you? Really? And he says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know, Lord, I, I really, I, I'm really, really fond of you. Again, he just could not say the word. He said, tend my sheep. Then he said the third time, he denied him three times, so he said the third time, and this time was going to be really painful. Because this time Jesus turns the tables. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? He didn't use the word agape here. Do you phileo me? Do you love me? Are you devoted to me? Are you, are you really fond of me? But that, that must have been like a knife in Peter's heart when he said that. <laughs> you see, Jesus is reminding him. Before he can restore him, he's got to take him back to where he fell and remind him how he did fall. He's going to restore him. He is restoring him, but he's making sure he understands. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Still wouldn't say it. He says, Lord, you know, you know my heart. You know me better than I know me. 
Even, even though I can't bring myself to say this because I was so proud before and I can't do that again, but Lord, you know my heart and you know me. <laughs> Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And so Jesus was bringing him back, restoring him to that place where he wanted him to be. What about us? Do we focus on much we love Jesus or do we focus on how much he loves us? Well, let me tell you, if you focus on how much he loves us, because if you focus on how much you love him, there's going to be times when you mightn't love him as much as you think you should or you ought to, and you'll get discouraged and get disheartened. And you'll maybe think to yourself, well, I'm struggling at this point. And you might think, well, maybe he doesn't love me because I'm struggling at this point or how much I love him. But he does love you. He does love you. And John, with all of his struggles, with all of his times of unbelief, and all of his times even in great blessing, and all his times of self-doubt, and all of those times when he had to wait upon the Lord for his ministry to change, because he'd been looking for years after his mother, Jesus' mother, in all of that time, he still held on to the strong belief that Jesus truly loves me. Let me just finish by saying this. We mentioned about him looking after Jesus' mother earlier, but let me just finish this by saying this. We don't know how long that was. At this time, Mary must have been maybe coming near 50 because Jesus was 33 when he died and she might have had Jesus when she was about 15. She was very, very young when she married. And so... John lived to his 90s. So in all those decades, John was looking after Mary. We don't know at what part during that time that she actually died. We just don't know. But for a long time, it would seem they lived in Jerusalem. But then either when she died, he moved to Ephesus, or they both moved to Ephesus. We don't really know. But he became the elder statesman of the church. He became the senior pastor as it was in that region of Ephesus and those surrounding churches. So imagine during all of that period when Mary was alive and those other disciples, the apostles, they were out flaming evangelists on fire for God, winning the lost in the nation and in the nations out there doing it and in the end being martyred for it and while all that was going on John was at home looking after Jesus' mother don't you think a part of him being human would not have looked at the rest of them and think boy what I would not give to be out there but he took his calling seriously 
and he was faithful to it. But now Mary is dead, gone. In fact, all of those apostles are dead and gone. Even the great apostle Paul, he's dead and gone. Only John is left out of all the original ones. And so, what to do? Waiting upon God, what is there for me now? That part of my ministry is over. I fulfilled that before God. What's left? Plenty. Now I become the elder statesman of the church. The old man, the father head of the church, as it were. And they would look to him for advice and guidance and teaching. And then he was outside of the Patmos. And it was during all of that period in his old years when he wrote his gospel, his three epistles, and the great book of Revelation. In fact, his great ministry was still ahead of him all those years when he was looking after Jesus' mother. He didn't know that all that ministry was still ahead of him. And all he could do was wait upon God and trust God, whatever may be. Whatever God you have got in store for me, however long it takes, I know that you love me. And because you love me, then I put my trust in you and put myself into your hands for the rest of my life. And he did that. And he became that great apostle of love. The gospel of John is a very special gospel. Different than the other three. His little letters are wonderful. And the book of Revelation is exceptional. By the way, don't call it the book of Revelations, as people do. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's lots of revelations in it, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about him, really. And so, think of the great love that God has got for you today. In times of blessing, in times of unbelief, in times when you're just waiting upon God, in times of doubt, in times of new responsibilities, in all the phases of your life, be like John, where you can look back and say, I'm that disciple whom Jesus loved. I know he loves the whole world, but he loves me. I thank God he loves me. I don't deserve his love. I didn't earn his love. It's his love. It's his mercy. It's his grace. He just loves me. I don't understand why, but he does. Thank God my wife loves me. I don't understand why sometimes, because sometimes I'm grumpy. Do you ever have your grumpy hat on, your humpy hat on? Do you ever have that on? Or I'm the only one's like it. You see, maybe you didn't think I was like that. Talk to my wife. There's sometimes I'm grumpy. Sometimes she's grumpy too, but that's all right. <laughs> Just in case she was going to rise of the seat there, you know. But sometimes we're like that, aren't we? But she still loves me. I'm still here yet. We're still 52 years together yet. She hasn't struck me yet. She hasn't put any arsenic in my tea yet. And I still love her. That's the way it should be, isn't it? So, thank God for that. And thank God for the fact that Jesus loves you. He still loves you. What a wonderful, wonderful thing it is. And sometimes, you know, you go through life and you don't really focus on that. You don't think about that. But sometimes it just dawns on you. It just dawns on you. Do you know, the Lord does love me. <laughs> and that gives you such confidence to go forward in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for those moments when it does dawn on us that your love 
It's fantastic. It's awesome. It's wonderful. It's beyond comprehension. So help us, Lord, to, to live in that love. Help us, Lord, to grow and develop in the love of God. Let that be the ground where the seeds grow, where the plant rises. Let that ground be the love of God where we develop and blossom and bloom. So we give you thanks for your great love, for your tender mercies, for your loving kindnesses. For each and every day, Lord, we praise you for that. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.